morning. Good morning, Orchard. We're glad you're here. If you're here in the building, you have brave Snowmageddon to be here. If you're online, well, welcome as well. <laughs> Not quite a drive, huh? You know, stand-up comedian Jim Gaffigan says, does anything make you more uncomfortable than some stranger saying, I'd like to talk to you about Jesus? Have you ever been on the receiving end of that sentence when you didn't want to be? Have you ever been the person that delivered that sentence? You know, in my many years of ministry, I've been part of what's called street ministry and mall ministry. And I know a lot of you hear the words mall ministry and you go, ooh, that sounds like it's for me. Well, let me tell you what it is first. Uh, mall ministry, you might want to know a little bit more about it. When you go to the mall and you approach strangers to tell them about Jesus, it's terrifying for both the person doing it and the person on the receiving end most times. <laughs> um, I've been in the mall, and someone has come up to me and done this before, and they didn't know I'm a pastor. And they said, if you were to die right now, would you go to heaven? And I wanted to have a little fun with them. So I leaned in, and I said, are you going to kill me? <laughs> I said, you know, I just want to give them a little bit of fun. So it, it, listen, those, those conversations can be beautiful. They can be awkward. They're scary. But it's always interesting when you have a conversation that suddenly and bluntly turns to Jesus. Isn't it? it? No matter which side you're on, there's a little bit uncomfortableness when you just you go, oh, so, so, how about Jesus? You heard about Jesus? And here in John 3, we're going to find the first experience of one of these moments. Jesus, out of nowhere, pulls the, you want to get to heaven? And he, he, he does this to a, com a conversation to a gentleman who was in no way expecting it. And here's my goal today. My goal is clarity, that, that we would leave this message with some clarity. Because if I took a poll of everybody in this room and everybody watching online about how do you get to heaven, even in a church, we would have a spectrum of answers. A spectrum. I mean, we have people who show up who are just investigating. It's their first week. They don't know if they believe all this. We have people who've been, who've been uh, in church their whole life who aren't really sure. And everything in between and those who are certain, I mean, we have a spectrum of people with us today. And so we have this question, I mean, how do you get to heaven? And today, I want Jesus to bring some clarity to this question, to this discussion. And here's why. Jesus is talking to a religious person who has it all figured out. He's constructed his view on, on God's kingdom and the afterlife and only to find out that he's way off. By the end of the message, I pray that we are clear on what Jesus says is the way to see God's kingdom. Not only someday eternally, but here in our lives. And so with that said, let's go to John chapter 3. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Pharisee, these days, if you've heard that in church, it's usually a negative thing. It means like a hypocrite. But back in this culture, in this time that we're talking about, a Pharisee was honored, was revered, and, and he was a member of the Jewish ruling council. This is called the Sanhedrin. Nicodemus was a member of the Pharisees, the elite religious group. But not only that, he had risen to be a part of the Sanhedrin, the VIP section of the religious elite. And these two little facts tell us something about Nicodemus. I mean, he is the modern equivalent of a, a politician and a priest and a professor all rolled into one. 
very honored. He's a, a Pharisee who is a religious leader and teacher, and he's part of the Sanhedrin, a political and social leader. Nicodemus, he is well-respected. He's well-connected, and here he comes to see Jesus. In verse 2, we see that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Now, this is always a curious thing. Nicodemus comes to Jesus under the cover of darkness when no one could see him. Another clue what's going on here. Remember, Jesus had made a lot of enemies with the Pharisees and the religious elite. In fact, just last week, and I know you never forget my sermon, so you remember the whole thing, when Jesus cleared the temple and then he said, destroy this temple and I'll build it back in three days, he outraged so many of the Pharisees. And so here we have Nicodemus in secret at night coming to see Jesus. He, he comes so that the public won't see him approach. He comes so that the other Pharisees perhaps uh, won't ask questions of why he's mingling with Jesus. He comes at night so there won't be any drama. But he has a question for Jesus. He's heard about these miracles. He's heard about the signs. He might have seen them. But he starts not with a question, but he starts with just some courtesy. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Now, as a member of the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, he would be inclined to look down on Jesus. Jesus doesn't have the full formal training that Nicodemus does. But this, all the same, Nicodemus gives him an honorable title. The fact that he calls Jesus rabbi, uh, teacher, it speaks volumes about Nicodemus's thoughts. Perhaps he's open-minded and wants to be curious, investigate, and courteous to, to see, see what Jesus is all about. So he starts off on a good foot. We don't know why, but he starts off with this, this greeting. Then he speaks for the entire council, we, it seems. He says, we know that you are a teacher who's come from God. Now, he says that no one can perform these signs unless they are come from God. He believes this by adding himself in the we. Now, we don't know if the whole Sanhedrin does or if they're angry or if just a few of them. We don't know that. But we know that Nicodemus includes himself in this. That he would say, ah, no one can perform the signs and miracles that you've been doing unless God's involved. So we have an honored teacher, a politician, coming to Jesus in the cover of night. And from his mouth... He's courteous, and he opens up the conversation saying, yeah, I believe that, that the signs you've done have to come from God. Nicodemus states, we believe God is with you, and Jesus replies like this, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Orchard, we discussed that when you read God's word, it's easy just to read over it, miss the drama, miss the emotions of it, but there are times to slow down. There's times to close your eyes. Let your imagination put yourself in that position and see what's going on. I mean, this is one of those moments. John, the author, is probably in the room mostly. He's recording this, and he, he might very well likely be sitting next to Jesus where we often find him. Front row seat to see this honored teacher come in, this politician, this high-ranking person to see Jesus. He sees the greeting he hears the words. He's feeling the drama of the moment. It's no small thing that Nicodemus has come here. And Nicodemus, he hears him affirm Jesus. As Nicodemus says, we believe that the miracles you've, said, you've done are from God. Now, we have to stop and see that Nicodemus didn't ask a question, did he? 
he didn't voice a concern. He simply states what he thinks that Jesus might be about. And Jesus, in a shocking turn in the conversation, just says, you need to be born again if you want to see God's kingdom. The, the Bible doesn't add dramatic pauses, but I believe that right here, there was just this long pause. Because one gave a greeting, and then Jesus turned the, turned the conversation immediately to eternal life and life here on earth. I bet there was a pause, especially in Nicodemus' mind, as he's trying to work through what he just heard. I'm, I must be born again to see God's kingdom. Now, the term born again. In our culture, we've probably all heard this. And, and the term born again, if you ask a thousand people, you'll get a thousand different answers and feelings based on experiences and based on backgrounds. Some good, some tragic. But I can tell you for a fact that the term born again wasn't a common thought in Nicodemus's time. We may be familiar with someone talking about being born again, but for Nicodemus, this was something brand new. He had not mentally wrestled with this before. And do you know how we know this? Do you know how we know for a fact? Because his, his answer. You see, Nicodemus is a highly intelligent person. He's quick. He knows the Old Testament forwards and backwards. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, if Jesus, if Jesus had asked Nicodemus, if he had said, so Nicodemus, tell me, how, how would one see the kingdom of God? If he had formed a question, well, Nicodemus would have <clears throat> cleared his throat, thought back through all of his knowledge, and maybe had hours of teaching on how one would see the kingdom of God based on the Old Testament. But remember, so far, the theme of John has been Jesus doing a new work. Jesus doing new things. And right here, we have this Pharisee who knows God's word. And Jesus says, you must be born again. And it's so foreign to Nicodemus. It's such a new phrase that listen to his response. Imagine his face, the puzzlement. How can someone be born when they are old? Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. I mean, this, Jesus' statement flew so far over Nicodemus' head, angels were ducking. I mean, he takes it absolutely literal to the point of wondering how a grown person could go back in the womb. Had the disciples known what was going on here, somebody would have spit out their drink kind of laughing. Be born again? Nicodemus says, I'm, I'm old. I'm old. How can I be born again? How can I go back to my mother's womb? And Nicodemus is right. Physically, you can't do that, but Jesus isn't talking about physical. He's talking about spiritual, isn't he? Spiritually born again. He's breaking completely new ground when he says you need to be born again. And Jesus replies, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. Human can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. Don't be shocked, Nicodemus. But that last verse, we know that he was in fact shocked. He was surprised at this This the way this conversation has changed and turned and that he must be born again. And Jesus in this verse, he says like, listen, humans can only reproduce humans, but the Holy Spirit, he gives birth to spiritual life. And therefore, spiritual rebirth is needed. You need to be born again. 
born again spiritually. You know, being born again is that glorious moment when uh, somebody surrenders their life to Jesus and the Holy Spirit dwells within them. And somehow in that moment, miraculously, there is a new spiritual birth. Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.17 puts it this way. He says, in Jesus, you are a new creation. The old life has gone and the new life has begun. This often happens with a prayer, but not always. Some of you, perhaps, gave your life to Jesus as a child at youth camp or maybe later in life. Some of you grew up in church, in church environments, and you don't know exactly when it happened. You just know that you grew up in church and I'm saved. I'm born again. Some of you don't know if you've ever had this, this moment, this miracle take place. And some of you listening here with us, you know for a fact you've never taken this step. You're investigating it. You're here with somebody. You're, you're tuning in to see what you're thinking. But, but here's the deal. Whatever group you're in, by the end of this service, I want you to know exactly where you stand based on Jesus' teaching in John 3. This is an important truth to clearly know where we stand. You know, I was seven years old right here in Carbondale. I was on visitation with my dad. He was a pastor, and I was sitting in the front seat. And back then, you could be seven and sit in the front seat because no one would report you on Facebook. And so I was in the front seat, and we were driving down Main Street. There was no roundabouts. We just kept going, and we were driving towards CRMS. My dad would go visit families because he was a pastor, and I was an extrovert, so I would go visit families because I like people. And so there we were driving, and we turned at what now would be kind of, it's called Indica Lane now, into Mike and Vicki King's driveway. We parked there. I was in the front seat. I remember asking my dad, Dad, how do, you, how do I know I'm going to heaven? This is the seven-year-old equivalent of when Jesus said, how do I see the kingdom of God? My dad and I had a conversation after, you know, he'd been teaching me all these things and the question came to me and, and right there in the car, I prayed to give my life to Jesus. Right there in, Mickey, in, the, in the king's driveway. I prayed, Jesus, I know you died. I know you rose again. I give you my life. I give you my heart. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And in that moment, something changed deep within me. Spiritually speaking, I was, I was born again. I was a whole new creation. And so for some of you, that moment might have happened a lot later. For some of you, earlier. For some of you, it's going to happen today. Each person has a different God story. Each of you in your born-again journey is unique. Being born again is a unique journey. It's like when you're being physically born. My, my son Elijah, when he was physically born, he came into the world. He was born under emergency situations after a long, painful labor. My daughter, Selah, was born without much fuss or difficulty on my part. But being born again is a lot like this. Some are born again under emergency situations. Some are born again after a painful season. Some are born again without much fuss or, or, or life difficulty. Some are born again after a season of beauty where God opens up and reveals himself. And some are born again under a season of hardship, darkness, it's not the way that you're born again that matters most. It's the fact that we all come to Jesus and our stories are unique. And Jesus tells Nicodemus that he needs to be born again. 
And there's some really important truth that I'm excited to deliver today right here in this. Jesus is telling a Pharisee of the Sanhedrin that he needs to be born again. There are few people in the Hebrew culture more accomplished than the man sitting across from Jesus having this conversation. Very few people in the entire Jewish culture. So indulge me for just a second as I tell you about what we know about Nicodemus based on Hebrew tradition. Here's what we know. Around the age of five, Nicodemus started his study using the Torah to learn how to read the first five books of the Bible. By the age of 10, Nicodemus had memorized the Torah. There's no chapter. There's no verse. He memorized it as a whole. Nicodemus graduated from there and then went to a school called Beit Talmud, where by the age of 14, Nicodemus had memorized the entire Old Testament. By the age of 14, the Torah, the Tanakh, all of it. Nicodemus was one of the very few that graduated from Beit Talmud by memorizing that. And so he graduated to the next school, which is Beit Midrash. And there in Beit Midrash, he would continue to learn and master the oral traditions of the Hebrews, as well as looking at the word, much like a diamond. If you take a diamond and turn it, each new facet gives you insight. And he would learn to look at God's word and every little word and every verse, was like a, he would turn and find a new facet and he learned to, to master the art of Hebrew midrash. It's the art of asking questions. That in their culture, it wasn't the right answer that was so important. It was the, the right question that would often open up what God was doing. Nicodemus, by this time, would have been known as a pupil of potential and promise. He was probably only a few of his peers left in school. The rest had gone to learn a trade with their parents. He was respected. He would find a, a rabbi, this young promising student. All the, he would go look at the rabbis that were already present, and he would, he would find one that that he was drawn to, that he resonated with, and he would go to that rabbi, and we know he asked this rabbi, can I be your Talmudin? Can I be your disciple? And the rabbi said yes, and accepted Nicodemus as a Talmudin. And for the next 15 years of Nicodemus' life, he followed that rabbi wherever he went, gleaning insights in the oral traditions and the written traditions, learning about the yoke of this rabbi, learning to be like him, learning to, learning to apply his knowledge of the Torah and Tanakh into wisdom. And Nicodemus, around the age of 30, having proven himself worthy when very few else would accomplish this, he had shown his rabbi, he had shown the, the other Pharisees that he had a mastery of the word. And he could, not only he could, could he apply it, he could teach it. He proved himself as a man of morality, a man of character. He worked hard towards his piety and integrity and to a fault, and Nicodemus uh, avoided anything that was unclean. Having done all that, by the age of 30, Nicodemus was elevated to the office of rabbi and his world opened up in a way it had not before. But Nicodemus wasn't done. He quickly showed promise and rose through the ranks of the rabbis. And soon he proved exceptional even there and was invited to be a part of the Sanhedrin, the ruling council. Nicodemus is the cream of the crop. Few are ranked above him in their culture. 
Nicodemus has done every single thing religiously right. Moral purity, check. Social notoriety, check. Religious piety, check. Political power, check. Wealth, security, honor. Nicodemus has done everything right. Everything. And there he sits in front of Jesus. And despite everything he's done right, what does Jesus tell Nicodemus he needs to do? Be born again. Start over. Be reborn. Catch this. Nothing Nicodemus did right in his past counted towards his salvation. All that he had done, none of it counted towards saving his spirit. He had to be born again. He had to surrender completely. He had to start over spiritually. His good works did not qualify him for salvation. He wasn't like half saved because he had done it all right. No, he had to be born again. Orchard, do you know how good a news this is? Do you know how good a news this is? Nothing Nicodemus did right counted towards his salvation. Which means nothing that you have done wrong counts against your salvation. All the religious, all the moral things that Nicodemus had accomplished didn't get him closer to salvation. And, and all the sacrilegious and immoral things that, that we might have done don't take us farther away from salvation. Nicodemus, like you, like me, needed to come to Jesus in the same exact way and be born again into a new life. Past behavior didn't count. Past failings didn't disqualify. Past successes didn't like overqualify. Past sins didn't exclude him and, and past good deeds didn't include him all anymore. What we learn from Nicodemus truly is that there is no star chart in heaven. That's what we learn from him. And we all nod, well, we know that, but our behavior betrays us. We believe our bad sins put us in lesser standing with God. Many of us here today believe that God's wearing a frown, arms crossed because of the way we're acting. We believe our bad sins put us in lesser standing. Oh, we believe maybe our good works put us in better standing. Or perhaps we play the comparison game. We compare ourselves and how we're doing with other, other people. And it, depending on who you pick, you feel either better or worse about yourself. And here we have a man who was morally and religiously impeccable. He'd done it all right. He had spent his entire life since he was five doing the right thing and following the religious rules. And Jesus looks him in the eye and tells him the same thing he would tell you. You need to be born again. If you want to see my father's kingdom, you need to be born again. Do you guys remember boarding planes? Remember those days where you'd go to an airport and they would, you would have to socially distance until you got on this tin can and then you'd be right next to each other? Do you remember the days of boarding a plane? And it was so funny, you go to board a plane and they always announced it at the beginning. Now boarding all first-class passengers and super special platinum well-behaved passengers who've spent lots of money with us. Now boarding. And, and, and 
these people would get on the plane and they would get a warm, wet cloth to kind of wipe the peasant off of them, you know? <laughs> and then they would be handed a golden chalice with champagne from the, the southeastern region of France where the, the temperature's just three degrees cooler. It dries the grapes perfectly. They would stretch out first class and they had done a lot of right things to get there to first class. You do a lot of good things to, to get first class. And, and sure, we're all, listen, oh, of course, we're all going to the same destination, but some of us are a little more cramped by the time we get there, right? And then finally they go, well, announcing the rest of you, you can all board. And you'd have to avert your eyes as you get on. You know, don't look at them. You remember those days? I'm joking, of course. But see, we believe in some, some way there's a spiritual pecking order. Nicodemus would have expected now boarding Pharisees and those religiously who have done it all right. Oh, excuse me. He would have thought there was a, there's an order. And what he learns, what we learn, Nicodemus learns here is there, there's no first class. There's no first class based on your behavior. We are all on equal footing when it comes to salvation. When it comes when we get to the cross of Jesus, we're equal before it. No matter what you've done, you need Jesus. No matter your good deeds, he invites you to come. No matter your past sins, the invitation is the same. The entry, the boarding, it's all the same. You've got to be born again. Perhaps you're here today and, and you have some big old sin in your past. It's the one you don't like to think about, the one that like just kind of makes your skin. You don't like to think about those things. In fact, you could be born again and still have this stuff in your past that just makes you flinch. Oh, gosh. Or perhaps, perhaps you haven't taken that step to, to, to receive Jesus and the reason you think you can't is because of that stuff in your past. It disqualifies you. And I hope we're beginning to see here in the gospel of Jesus that no person is more or less qualified based on what they've done in their past or what they're doing in their present. Jesus wants you to know that you can bring your entire past, all your good works that you're so proud of, all your bad stuff, and the ugliest things in your life. You can bring it to the foot of the cross, be born again, and leave it there at the altar. And when we have a song at the end, you're going to have a chance to leave it there at the altar. And here's where we move to another verse here in John 3. Perhaps the most famous verse in the Bible. The first verse I ever memorized, John 3, 16. Jesus continues, For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This means God loves you. God gave his son Jesus who died on a cross and rose again. Why? So that whoever believes in Jesus will not perish but experience eternal life. Now let's put this together with Jesus' words on being born again. Let's, let's put these together for a mashup. It says, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will be born again and see the kingdom of God both now and eternally so here's the question. Where do you stand today on these verses? This is where we need to clarify. Where do you stand on these verses in John? Have you been born again? Have you been born again? Maybe sometime in your past, 
Maybe, it was, maybe it's been buried under seasons of wandering and, and just going the wrong way. Have you been born again? Perhaps you have, but the passion and the fire is just gone. Have you been born again? Maybe, but you're doubting it based on some behavior. I don't know if God could still love me with this stuff. Have you been born again? And maybe you did in your childhood. You don't really know, but surely, right? Have you been born again? Maybe you know. Maybe you know you've never taken this step. Or maybe like Nicodemus, you grew up in church and, and you did it all right. You didn't read Harry Potter and you only ate Chick-fil-A and you did all the right things and you learned out those things don't get you closer to salvation. You need to be born again. Have you been born again? Maybe you've never taken that step yet. Regardless of the experience that you have had in the past, you are right here, right now, at this moment. In this moment. At home or in this room. And I want us to stop and pause and consider the clarifying question Jesus says, if you want to see my Father's kingdom, you need to be born again. So whether you feel unsure or unworthy or disqualified or just passionless or whether you've never prayed this before, but you would like to pray to receive Jesus, to be born again, I'm going to pray a prayer that would ask God to give us new birth. Whether this is your first time or whether you want to renew this, so let's bow our heads together at home and in here. And now if you want to pray this with me, I want you to place your hand over your heart and just pray with me. Say, God, I believe you sent Jesus who came and died and rose again. Jesus, I believe in you. I give you my life. I surrender my heart Take my sin and my past. Give me new birth. I need you. Holy Spirit, fill me. I want to be born again. Jesus, you are my savior. As we close this, I want to highlight one more verse. Verse 21 in John 3. Jesus is still talking to Nicodemus and he says something interesting. He says, Nicodemus, but those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. Those who do what is right come to the light. I want to highlight this for a few different reasons. One is, once we're born again, there should be evidence of new life. There should be evidence coming out of us that the, there is a new work being done, that we're a new creation. There should be new fruit where there's new root. Secondly, he's telling Nicodemus to come to the light where the others can see what he is doing is what God wants. How did Nicodemus come to Jesus? In the dark. 
And Jesus calls him to bring his faith out into the light where people can see what God is doing, what God has done, and they can see God's work. On the other side of being born again is bringing our faith out of the darkness, out of hiding, out of our private life, and into our public world. As being born again should give us some new boldness. And what we learn from Nicodemus is to is that we're called to bring it out of the darkness. We don't want to meet in, in, in secret and then when we leave, you know, keep it to ourselves. We don't know if Nicodemus was saved. We don't know if Nicodemus was born again. We don't know. It doesn't tell us. But I personally, I want to believe he is. And I guess we'll find out someday, won't we? But let me just tell you a few things. Because he certainly brought his support out into the light for Jesus. Nicodemus, who secretly met under the cover of dark, to keep his curiosity a mystery. In John 7, we find the Pharisees in an uproar over what Jesus is doing. And in fact, they're mocking people that believe in Jesus. They're saying only the foolish believe in Jesus. And they say, do any one of us Pharisees believe in him? Guess who speaks up? Guess who speaks up in defense? Nicodemus. And the, the Pharisees, shocked, turn to him and mock him as well. But one more thing happens that's so beautiful. John 19, Jesus is crucified, publicly shamed in front of everyone. His disciples scatter in fear because anybody who's connected to this, this, this Jesus, they're afraid they're gonna be killed as well. No one's there to support him. But two people come forward and ask Pilate for Jesus' body, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Listen to me in verse 39. Nicodemus brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. And following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with spices and long sheets of linen. Can you imagine Nicodemus there with the broken body of Jesus, wrapping his, his body in spices and sheets, caring for the, the broken body of Jesus? Because it was the day of preparation for Jewish Passover and the tomb was close at hand, they, Nicodemus, laid Jesus there. Nicodemus comes forward as one of the people who prepares the broken body of Jesus. And in this culture, guess what? Only females or servants did that work to prepare a dead body. Have you read the Old Testament about the uncleanliness of a dead body? And here Nicodemus puts on a servant. He becomes a servant. Something's changed within him. And he comes and he brings us a gift of great worth. And he cares for the broken body of Jesus when no one else would. Question is, are you born again? If so, it's time for your faith to come out of the darkness and into the light so people can see. And by seeing your faith and what God has done, they can see God and they can be born again. It's time for our faith to leave Sundays or to leave our living rooms online. It's time for our faith to exit the building, whether that building is home or here, and to go to your work and to go to your house, go to, go to your friendships, go to your recreation. To not have, to not be like Nicodemus seeing him in darkness and, and secret. That there should be evidence of our faith. And so from Nicodemus, we learn a lot of things. That our good works don't count towards salvation, which is good news because our bad works don't either. So Orchard, let us be a church that takes our faith out of hiding, out of darkness, and brings it to light. Are you born again?
Are you born again? Then let's bring it out of the darkness to the light. If you're here today and you're in the building and you want to pray about being born again, I'm up here up front. I'd love to pray with you. If you're with us online, you can email me. I'd love to answer your questions. But as we go into this song, oh, and as you take communion during it, the, the blood and the body broken of Jesus, one thing I want you to deal with is it says, come to the altar. And for some of us, we need to believe all our sins and our past that we believe disqualifies us and leave it here. And there's, there's Kleenexes here for a reason because God moved in power the first service. Are you born again? Jesus, we thank you so much for your sacrifice. And God, I, I thank, Jesus, I thank you that it doesn't matter what is in our past or our present, that you call us to be born again. Refresh us all anew to the passion of what that means. In Jesus' name.